Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Ad, the podcast where we explore the world of fundraising and philanthropy. I'm your host, Art Fuller, PhD, and I'm excited to take you on a journey through the ins and outs of the nonprofit sector. My guest today is Wes Powell. Wes is the Director of Planned Giving at the Star of Hope Mission in Houston, Texas. Wes, welcome to Beyond the Ad. Thank you, Art. Glad to be here. Good. Well, I appreciate you taking some time today just to help uh, me and our listeners uh, understand a little more about the world of fundraising. So let me start off by asking, uh, Wes, how did you decide to become a fundraiser? What got you started in this field of fundraising? Well, it uh, was something I kind of fell into. Uh, coming out of college, I always felt a leading and calling to work in some type of Christian ministry. And uh, I found in my journey of looking at ways to do that, the most accessible way was in uh, the fundraising or development uh, part of working for um, a nonprofit Christian ministry. And so it was kind of something I fell into. I felt like it was something uh, God just directed my path into because it has served me well to where I've worked in that field for getting over a little 40, to be 40 years now. Mm. Wow. wow. Are there, oh, let me ask you this, since you've been doing this a long time, obviously you've seen a lot, heard a lot, done a lot. Are there particular qualities that you've seen either in other fundraisers or that you've tried to cultivate yourself? And what would those qualities be? And do you have particular ways that you try to cultivate those traits? Well, I think um, one thing, a couple things I think of is, you know, you need to be personally involved uh, with the cause or organization that you're working with not taking up a lot of time outside of work hours, but you need to have a commitment to be involved uh, in that particular area, whatever it is. Uh, For me, I work for a homeless mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I do uh, with some colleagues is we actually volunteer. Uh, We've served meals. Um, Another thing I do is the local church that I attend is very committed to uh, serving the homeless um, through their own ministry. That was important for me in selecting a local church, a church that's missional. And so at my mm-hmm. church, every Sunday after church, we have a lunch for the uh, the homeless community people on the streets that live nearby our church. And so I think it's important to be involved with it and uh, so that you know more about it. And also the other thing I would say is whether it's healthcare or arts or um, something like what I do, a, you know, a humanitarian social service field is to be aware of its impact on your society or your city. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just to know the impact that you're making so that you can be committed to it. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to be a successful fundraiser if you are not particularly enamored with the cause? In other words, hey, I enjoy fundraising, I've got a set of professional skills, if you will. I'm not sure that I'm excited about this particular vision and mission, but, you know, I need a job. Is it possible to do that and really be successful as a fundraiser? If you are, I think it's short term. 
I don't think uh-huh. you can really uh, have a good career at a place for a long period of time unless you are committed, unless you really feel good about it. Mm-hmm. And you and I, you and I, I think, are both examples of that. And our previous experiences uh, working at uh, Enjoy Stewardship Services that help to provide stewardship services for churches. Both of us, you know, are, are, are strong believers. We mm-hmm. attend the church, and we just have we have a commitment to see local churches thrive. And so we both worked for a decade plus in a previous place. I think so. I think you just really have to believe in it to work there long term. I, I know of friends or colleagues that have entered experiences with nonprofits, but you know what? They're probably only there six months or a year. So I, I think mm-hmm. unless you have that, you're not going to be there very long. Yeah, very true. Well, you know, we know that um, successful fundraising involves major donors, you know, people that are able to give significant sums to a particular mission or a cause. Is there anything that you do in terms of helping you identify potential major donors or sponsors? Are there strategies that you found to be effective? Yes, there's, you know, I think there's kind of two ways to approach identifying uh, new donors, donor prospects. One is just in your own personal uh, realm or your personal life uh, to kind of always have your antenna up or on the lookout. Uh, for people that might have an interest in what you do. And for me, uh, I find that um, through places where I go to get my hair cut, the doctors that I go to are specialists, uh, people I interact with for my own personal business and things, as I get to know them, they'll ask where I work. And telling people that you work for a homeless organization just always brings out um, uh, a response of respect for what you do. And so it invariably gets into conversations of, oh, I'd like to get my staff involved and do that. And uh, it's happened a few times, but the first example when I moved to Houston and I was selecting a new insurance agency, it was a state form agent to take care of of my insurance needs. Uh, That insurance agent became aware of what I did and she engaged her staff and uh, for a couple of years they served in a volunteer capacity and brought her office staff down to volunteer force. So I think being on the lookout for places where you go to get your hair cut, insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that are ways you can identify new prospects. Even another one is the particular person who helps me with, who does my taxes every year. Uh Um, It's a a guy, he has his own financial uh, practice, his uh, financial advising practice. He does taxes. And I've spoken with him about uh, getting involved with our organization and supporting it, and he promotes it in his office. So those are some ways. Other ways, you know, there's also strategies that the organization you work for uh, will come up with, and that's just a part of our development program. And, of course, we always look at first-time donors is probably a really good way in, in an organization our size. We we get around 26 to $30 billion a year in annual revenue, gift revenue. And so daily, there's going to be people who've given to us who never have before. Mm-hmm. And so those people become uh, prospects for uh, going from a one-time donor to building them into a regular donor, someone that will 
the partner with us for the long term. So we always focus upon our first-time donors. We recognize them, pull them out, and then our staff will try to engage with them over lunch or coffee uh, just to find out what it was that caused them to donate to us in the first place and find out a little bit about, you know, what things are important to them and then discover ways that we can engage them further. And there's other strategies as well. We have a, you know, if your organization has a very strong volunteer program, of course, which ours does, uh, a lot of people who come in and volunteer uh, are not going to be financial donors, but that is a, a pool of prospects that you can look at uh, to try to um, find first-time donors. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about identifying new donors and kind of calling them out and the other donors, obviously, that are long-time supporters. How do you go about trying to maintain, you know, to build and strengthen and maintain these donor relationships over time? Are there particular things that you try to do or particular strategies that you employ? Yeah, I think getting to know the donor uh, first and foremost. Um, in our case, a lot of people give to us because of reasons of their Christian faith. Um, mm -hmm. There's others that give to us where that may not be the issue. They just care about supporting social organizations, social causes like homelessness. So, mm -hmm. for example, if it is someone who who gives to us as an extension of their uh, Christian stewardship, their Christian belief. You know, they, they're they already tithers or strong givers to their church, and they see supporting us as just an extension of what they're, they're called to support. Uh, I engage with that individual on spiritual ground. I mean, uh -huh. I will uh, really nurture that uh, relationship and and talk with them in terms of how our our clients are fed spiritually, how their lives are changed spiritually, which leads to the point of independent living. It's with a donor that does not identify with us from a faith perspective or Christian perspective, then it has to do with just how they're helping to contribute to solving homelessness in Houston. And I might add uh, that there was a recent survey or study done in 2022, and it compared cities, major cities across the United States, Los Angeles, New York City, uh, San Francisco, a lot of your West Coast cities, and even here in Texas, Houston, it was compared to Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. And Houston mm -hmm. was at the very bottom in terms of the number of homeless that we had on the streets compared to all those other cities. Wow. So we were, we were in the best position possible with regard to what we do. And so sometimes, a lot of times information like that can be shared with a donor, whether it's spiritually or a donor who's community-minded, mm -hmm. you know, a corporation or foundation, and say, look, here's the impact that yeah. your gifts are making. And then another thing to do is whether it's a, a, a corporate donor, a just an individual that supports us outside of faith, is to find out what personally they're connected with. An example of that is I have a retired orthopedic surgeon and his wife who uh, are people of faith, but they support us more from the standpoint of how we, how we help the homeless. And this particular uh, doctor has a real strong interest in seeing the homeless get jobs. He mm -hmm. feels strongly about seeing them become employable. 
and develop those skills so that when they leave us, if they get a job, a good job, a good paying job. Uh, and mm-hmm. so this, this donor gives us $50,000 a year out of its family foundation for our workforce development program. It just goes strictly for that. So if you can find the, the heartbeat of that donor and connect mm-hmm. them or attach them to the particular program that fulfills that, then you've got a long-term donor. Yeah. Oh, wow. Great. So now, uh, how do you guys there at Star of Hope, how do you measure the success of a either a fundraising campaign or a fundraising season? What type of metrics do you look at? Is it just purely financial? Hey, we needed to raise this and we raised that. Or are there other metrics that you use to evaluate that? I think it would be, uh, obviously, it's going to be maybe a little different for each organization. But an obvious thing for us is, you know, did we meet our goal financially? I think also, you know, so goals are very important. I think when you set goals, they shouldn't be too lofty. They should be realistic, but mm-hmm. should have a sense of challenge with it. So attaining a goal is obviously one metric. I think another one is the percentage of donors that you're able to get involved with uh, supporting that. Another metric that you may not hear often, but I think one that in my mind that's just important for success is if you don't hear a lot of bad news in the community mm-hmm. about it, you know, mm-hmm. if, if your public relations side of a campaign is positive and not negative. And uh, sometimes the best PR is avoiding negative news or negative PR and things like that in this day and age. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, just to make sure that uh, you've got good news out there about it, a good impact. So it, I think that's going to be relative to each organization, but I, I, I simply think it probably attaining your goal and uh, the number of donors that you engage with it. Mm-hmm. It seems like, uh, and maybe you feel this way as well, that nowadays there are more resources, more access to information about fundraising and philanthropy than there has been in a long time. What do you do, in other words, to stay up with latest trends or best practices? Are there particular resources that you kind of default to to try to stay informed on, you know, latest, like say, latest trends in fundraising? Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. I mean, when I started in this field in the 80s, there was maybe one or two. Um, There are much more resources today and out there for getting support places to look for assistance and things. In the 80s, when I started, you know, you could count on one hand, uh, one set of fingers, the things that you could look at in terms of books. Mm -hmm. But now there are just many, many, many. One of them is um, webinars. I mean, there's Uh all kinds of organizations. I get emails daily from all these different groups, and I kind of have to uh, wade through them a little bit, but I take, I'll, I'll normally do about one webinar a week. One that's particularly good that does webinars is the uh, National Christian Foundation in Atlanta mm-hmm. offers webinars. They're a great resource. Each, like the city I'm in, uh, has a charitable gift planners association. I'm a member of that chapter and they have meetings and uh, as being a member of that organization, Having a subscription there, I have a lot of resources to webinars and materials mm-hmm. and things. 
There's a, other organizations, one that we use, I'll give an example, is the Barnabas Foundation, a faith-based organization mm -hmm. that helps nonprofits with plan giving services, and so we're members with them, and they have advisors there that I can use. So subscribing to groups like that gives you help in the sense of advisory, uh, webinars, different resources and materials for our uh, different materials that we put out and things. Uh, and then in addition to that, just different books that you read. So it, mm -hmm. it's all around you, um, the things that you, I mean, you could literally, I think, a uh, nonprofit fundraising professional could literally spend a week just doing personal growth and education for all the things. There's so much out mm -hmm. there. But I think the important thing is to really just kind of wade through and find out what's significant for you. So it, yeah. honestly, there's more than what you need. It can be a little bit overwhelming. So you just have to use wisdom and knowing what's best for you. Yeah. Now, if somebody were to come to you today, Wes, and maybe they're fresh out of college. Hey, Wes, I'm thinking about becoming a professional fundraiser. I'd like to build a long-term career in this um, I'll call it industry, if you will. What kind of advice would you give a person that was starting out in fundraising or philanthropy? Well, if they're really serious about it, I would, first of all, ask them to explore how they feel led to do it. What is their calling? Is mm -hmm. it spiritual? Is it something they feel like God's calling them to do? Or is it just a personal, uh, personal calling they feel, which is good, very possible? And so I would ask them to really just sort of self-examine that sense of leading they feel and then confirm that. And if they feel really drawn to do that, um, the next thing I would say is, you know, make sure you're in a city or a location that has great dynamic nonprofits, uh, has great resources, and it's also a city that has tremendous generosity. And I may be a little biased, but I feel mm -hmm. like Houston, I tell people often, Houston is the perfect storm. I hate to use the word storm, but it's the perfect storm <laughs> in terms of being in an area where you have many dynamic nonprofits who collaborate well together, very well, yeah. um, along that's coupled with a great community of generous philanthropy. Uh, in terms of churches, individuals, corporations, um, foundations, and just all those that support it. And so mm -hmm. Houston, it's just a, it's a great place to live. It's a great space to be in if you want to work in nonprofit fundraising. And so mm -hmm. that would be the advice I would give, I think. Yeah. Well, as you kind of look across the fundraising landscape today, um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you feel like fundraisers are facing today? And maybe as you kind of look forward a couple of years, how do you see things evolving in the near future? I think one of the things that a little bit of a challenge now, but it's being figured out and dealt with is how to be successful with social media. You know, it's a mm -hmm. platform we use, every organization uses. We're active with it, and I see others using it, but how to maximize uh, your success with social media. My personal belief is that most organizations are not as, that we're not seeing the return on investment that you might see through other portals or ways of fundraising. 
so you have to engage with social media. It's there. You know, it's going to be used with the, the generation that we're living in now. Uh, so I see it as a bit of a challenge as well as an opportunity. So how to be creative and maximize that would be one. One of the things I thought about, I don't know if this is valid or if you've ever thought this way. I wonder, is it, is there an issue today where fundraisers have to prove they're maybe more credible than they did in the past or more financially above board or that they have more integrity than they did in the past? Or, nah, I don't really see it that way. Just because of, like you say, social media, people are constantly yep. taking shots at you. Um, so I don't know if that's a challenge that people face today or I'm just imagining it, you know. Let me ask you this, as you interact with donors, do you feel like you have to go a little beyond sometimes to kind of justify mission and justify why you're asking uh, because either bad press or bad press about fundraising in general or any of those things issues for you guys? Yes, yes. So do, do you have to, do you feel like nowadays, maybe more so than in the past, you have to justify why you're making the ask, have to justify or really make a strong case for the integrity of the organization, the integrity of the mission uh, and the vision, maybe more so than you had to do in the past. And I don't know if that's because social media is out there and it is so easy for people to take pot shots at people or organizations and, you know, just to hate on them or get negative. I don't know if that's something you have to do more now than you did, say, 15, 20 years ago or not. You know, in addition to social media art, I would think, uh, I would think about uh, <clears throat> that maintaining your integrity and trust with the community and donors is something that's uh, always important. Um, mm -hmm. That can be in part because of social media or the culture, the times that we're in. But just as I think about the organization and the place that I work, we've existed for 115 years. We've never had any scandal or anything come out in the news or the media uh, that's, you know, been something we've had to overcome. So we have this tremendous trust that is built up with our donors. Mm -hmm. But that's something you have to maintain. And so mm -hmm. I would say maintaining that trust and working on it, whether it's something you have or it's something you're trying to repair and restore is incredible. I have donors tell me all the time when I thank them for giving their gift, their support, they will say, um, oh, thank you for what you do. And it's almost like they're, it's almost like I don't have to thank them, but of course mm -hmm. I would, but they have such a trust and respect built up for us that um, they they thank us for what they're doing in it. Mm -hmm. And so our tremendous integrity and in staying out of bad news and not having any, you know, where we've gotten off rails in any way or any mistakes or scandals in our past is, is paying tremendous dividends today. Mm -hmm. I would say this, let me add this point that comes to mind. I think the most important thing a donor or an organization needs to do with someone that supports you financially, whether it's a first time or regularly, is to regularly and quickly say thanks. I think mm -hmm. saying thank you is so important. It's so basic. I mean, when I 
first got into fundraising, uh, saying thank yous and writing thank you notes or emails or all the different ways you can just thank donors. That's all you're doing is thanking them. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing I learned in my fundraising jobs, my experience. And it still today is the most important attribute of a relationship an organization has with a donor or a mm -hmm. practice that a fundraising professional needs to do is to say thank you. But it's also the thing that I see where most organizations fall short. Mm. I'm going back to kind of a piece of a question I asked a little bit ago. Are there any particular trends uh, or how do you see things changing in the next few years? Or are they, for instance, you know, one of the things that's really just in the last couple of months becoming big news is all this uh, use of AI, chat, GPT, you know, which kind of can generate content like crazy. Do you see that playing any role in particular maybe in fundraising in the near future? I think it does. I'm not sure I know how at this point, but mm -hmm. I think it does. And, you know, another thing that we've seen recently, um, we've recently started uh, offering uh, for donors to give to us through cryptocurrency. Uh, oh, okay. we, haven't, we haven't seen enough of that to make a difference, but mm -hmm. because that's out there and because that's a uh, um, a resource because that's an asset through which some people may give. You know, we don't want to miss out on anything, so that may or may not be something that's uh, available in the future. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I, I, you know, there's going to be other things. I think they're just, you know, unknown at this point, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. it's just, we, as you know, we live in such a rapidly changing culture and society that it's like you wake up on Monday morning and here's a new way of giving or doing things yeah. but I think for me it's just staying true to the core of what I've always known to be uh, best for me as a fundraising professional representing the values of the organization that I'm, I'm blessed to serve. Mm -hmm. Well Wes I want to say thank you for sharing your ideas and your expertise with our listeners today and uh, certainly wish you well and wish Star of Hope Mission there in Houston well in the future as you guys endeavor to serve your community. So thank you for what you do. Hey, Art, it's great to be with you and I appreciate your friendship and certainly the years that we had the chance to work together professionally and uh, just have great respect for what you continue to do in helping faith-based fundraising, whether it's churches or other organizations. So glad to be with you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Dear listeners, I hope you found that interview informative and helpful. Thanks for investing your time with us. Tune in again in the future as we continue to go beyond the ask.